Open the pod bay doors, please, pal. All right, all right, all right. You're gonna need a bigger potion. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Look at the coast. We get together, have a few laughs. <laughs> a movie artist with Brad Patel and Gus Trapper. Well, hey, uh, question. Well, Yingling, draft, can, bottle. What's your favorite? Um, generally, I like drafts whenever I can get them. Yeah. But I don't know. It just depends on the situation. I like bottles, but like sometimes. like but, if this, I... but it's Yingling specific. This is a very specific question. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I've been buying a lot. Of, I've been buying cans lately of just yeah. whatever, just because they're smaller and uh, lighter. <laughs> um, and they, I can fit more of them into my fridge basically <laughs> right basically i it, i think yingling tastes they might as well be three different beers between yingling cans bottles and draft huh. bottle is like really skunky and metallic tasting <laughs> for some reason like uh I just, I, I, or something it's like i for some reason the can tastes the best the can does like the yeah i don't know why it just the, does the skunky metal can no, it's the it, bottle is the skunky. Oh, bottle is skunky. No, it's I, green. I, it's like, I don't know. That seems like a, kind of a waste. <laughs> like yingling in a bottle. It's like, that's a canned beer. I don't know. Sort of like, uh, well, MGD or High Life. It's like. But see, High Life is only good in a bottle. Is it? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Truth. I, I so, guess I haven't drank too much of it to know. I'm an expert. Uh, <laughs> Yingling expert. And high life expert. I was just looking at the soundtrack to this movie. We were listening to it. Uh, Alex watched it with me last night. And um, yeah, she was excited to watch this movie again with me last night. And she, of course, loves the soundtrack. She's a big Beach Boys fan. Yeah, a lot of Actually, that was a lot of our discussion was about the movie was like the soundtrack. She's like, oh, the, this is it's like all about the soundtrack. And I'm like, yeah, but it's the soundtrack with the visual visual visuals that like make it so good. You can't have just one or the other. It needs to be the combination of the two meeting. Yeah. That just bring it, bring the house down. Cause yeah. which he is like Tarantino. He's so fucking good at picking the right song and like obscure songs. Yeah. He really, yeah. He, He's a fan of music and so yeah. is Wes Anderson. You can tell like, yeah, different uh, styles though. There's a lot of doo-wop like type songs in it. You know? Yeah. And that, uh, well, I guess we'll get into it. I guess we're, uh, are we talking about the movie? Talking right now? about the movie. I guess I'll do an intro. Hey gang. Brad Patello here. Thanks for joining me. I'm here with my good friend, Gus Trout. Uh, today, we're discussing Fantastic Mr. Fox, for, released in 2009, which is the same year that Coraline came out. So we've got um, two stop-motion features that got a wide release in the same year, which is unusual. This is our first stop-motion film and also our first Wes Anderson film. So, Which is surprising. I, I, in, when I took your class uh you one of your opening thing is 
in your classes to like introduce yourself and to say your favorite movie or something like that. And I think uh, mine was at the time. Uh, so that would have been 2005 or six or something. Yeah. I think I was, I was such a Wes Anderson fan then. Um, and I like everybody else around me, but uh, I think I said like, uh, you know, life aquatic or something or i think with rushmore life aquatic and royal tannenbaums it's just you're i remember saying this like jordan and i used to say this all the time it's just like whatever wes anderson movie you had just recently watched was your favorite wes anderson movie yeah does that make sense you know what i mean it's just like you watch rushmore and you're like oh my god it's so good that's my favorite one and then you watch royal tannenbaums and you're like damn it that's so good this is my favorite one well, and his use of color like is unique in every film too. Like he, the further you go back with him, like let's exclude Bottle Rocket, okay? Because I think it really starts with his style. Really, really, really starts with Rushmore. Yeah, for sure. Because Bottle Rocket doesn't even really feel like a Wes Anderson film, you know? Yeah, like... right. There's, there's like. Uh glimpses you know through yeah. the veneer blind <laughs> venetian blinds that you can see but like it's not there yet but even when you go back to rushmore it's still not it's like that rushmore could like compared to grand budapest are like oh yeah kind of night and day if you're you know really looking at them yeah i I kind of think it's appropriate that he does puppet films too, because I feel like the animation allows it just intensifies his style, you know, cause he has complete yes. control and just when you, when you got actors who are like, you know, want to do whatever the fuck they want to do. Yeah. Ugh. They're human beings with opinions and, and emotions. And um, here's how I should think this should go. And no, you should yeah. go like this, but puppets, They'll just do whatever you tell them. So, yeah, I did. I wrote something down. I don't know where it is in my notes, but that the 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 animated. It's not just that it's animated; it's the fact that it's stop motion. Right. The stop motion thing just fits into his whole style so well. A lot of the same visual themes he's that that are going on that he starts with Rushmore with like the uh, somebody holding a book and it's the camera's looking straight down at the book. It's, it's like this, this movie could exist in one of his movie in one of his, uh, you know, live action movies, like as like a property or something like in a background, it could just be playing in the background, you know, Wes Anderson expanded universe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, I think the puppet style, you're right, totally fits, you know. It's, like, got that texture, um, both well, in terms I, of the look not, and the movements, I'm, the way the characters right. move is very, like, the puppets are walking toward camera, and it's just so straight, you know. It's, like, if it was a human, it wouldn't be that precise, you know. There, yeah, there's a preciseness to it, but there's also a nice uh, quality of uh, there's a nice subtleness to the animation too that's could be overlooked. With 
Coraline and Paranorman or what's it called? Paranorman. Yeah, Paranorman. Those movies are almost so polished that they, to somebody who doesn't know and like doesn't know stop motion animation, they might think it's like a 3D Pixar. Oh, I know. Movie. Well, especially that last one, uh, Missing Link was so smooth. The animation was just next level smooth. Yeah. Which where, this this one had a decidedly like crunkier look, you know, well, where Yeah, he's going for like don't make this it's like if in a pre-production, you know, conversation is like I don't want this to have any qualities that wouldn't exist outside of 1970 <laughs> right you know everything pre like digital effects has to, like the, the the fur moving on the characters and the the little the classic stop motion tricks they're throwing in of like you know burning cotton balls <laughs> yeah co- yeah cotton explosions and burning uh steel wool and practical stop motion tricks well, i don't know if the uh how well the gang knows us yet out there that is listening to us but that's right Brad's kind of a stop motion guy well i was going to get into that a little bit because we we got a little bit of gus's backstory in the last episode of raised by wolves under the sun <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of my backstory i do stop motion all right. Born did. in uh 1920 something. Yeah. I'm super old. Yeah. I worked uh, I worked under Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> um yeah, I worked at uh back in the 90s. Uh so I'm super old as you know. Back in the late 90s I was hired at a company called Will Vinton Studios in Portland. Um and that place in that specific time kind of was like kind of a hub for stop motion at the time like they had they had done one season of the pjs like 13 episodes and they hired up for that season they hired up kind of all the seasoned animators like that were working in stop motion at the time everyone who had worked in the 80s and um, everyone at will vinton like the company was famous in the 80s for doing california raisins commercials and Oh, I love those. Yeah. Things like that, like stop motion, clay animation. Uh, but so they had done one season of the PJs and then they were doing another season of the PJs. The first season was like 13 episodes. The second season was 21. And on top of that, they're starting this other new show, Gary and Mike, which I was hired. That that's yeah. what was my main reason for being there was I was hired to work on that show many careers were started there because it was almost like a torch passing moment where a lot of like veterans, like stop motion veterans were there, but they also brought in a bunch of new people like me and trained us up, you know? And I, I look back and that was like just a really great moment in time. And it only kind of tangentially relates to this film uh, because a bunch of the people that I worked with worked on this, but, well, that's my backstory. And then the Will Vinton uh, company produced a lot of amazing talent. It was such a unique experience to go there. And I feel so blessed and honored to have been a part of it. The The bottom kind of fell out when 
both of those shows that I mentioned were canceled at the same time. And so at one point at the peak of both productions, they had somewhere like 300 people working at the studio. Then when that's a big, that's a pretty big studio. Yeah. Then they went down to like 40. (laughs) I was one of about 260, 270 people who were laid off. Um, And that's when it, yeah, they, that's when it kind of transitioned into Leica. There was a time when there was no work being done in stop motion. And the art form was kind of declared dead. I did have like kind of a like crossroads of life moment. I was hired at Edinburgh in 2004. So I taught for two years in Detroit. I was hired in 2004 in Edinburgh. And I think it was, it was late. It was late 2004 or early 2005. Um, I get an email from an animator called Sarah. She emails me and says, uh, hey, we need uh, animators for this new show, Robot Chicken. And I'm like, well, okay, but I'm here till May. You know, I was signed a contract at Edinburgh to work until May. And she was like, oh, we need people right now. That's kind of how it was in the industry. It was just like, we got to go. We're starting a production. Yeah, I mean. That's always how it is. It's fucking because it's a whole industry run by fucking manic, anxiety filled, <laughs> non business people. Yes. Yeah. And they put it off till the last minute and then they're like, oh shit, we got to get this done. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know it at the time, but that was kind of a crossroads of life moment. And it'd be interesting. Yeah, that's to- pretty wild peak of course i've been at edinburgh ever since the pay is good they uh well they keep keep not firing i got to meet you yeah we're doing a podcast now we're doing this yeah Yeah, this is pretty (laughs) worth it you know i'm so glad that you didn't have this amazing career probably becoming a director and uh having hundreds of thousands of dollars not millions yeah i mean a lot of the people who were there um, you'd be you'd be summering with seth green and uh i don't know Marblehead or some shit well first of all that a lot a a lot of that crew went to robot chicken like when i came here the the that crew who was at will vinton late 90s early 2000s kind of i love the robot chicken feel yeah the sort of crunky like yeah everything's on twos it's very like blocky and well that crew when like a bunch of us got laid off. Several people formed their own, another studio in Portland called Bent, and it's still there yeah. doing think, stop motion. I, I think something we should tell the audience here is that there's animators that do 2D stuff like you would see like Disney or, but that, that's, that's, Disney is like the highest tier when it comes to 2D. Yeah, uh, like most the, of it does not look like that. It's yeah, and and then there's and even the highest tier Disney person doesn't even cl- come close to the insanity of anybody doing stop motion. In my mind, stop motion is the most like highest difficulty animation because. How you would approach a 2D animation is you are slowly filling in the gap. You right. are ma- you're making very big leaps to of the mo- of the movement. You're doing yeah. 
ex- the extremes of the motion. And then you're right. going back and filling it in. Right. But with stop motion, you are just starting from the beginning of the motion to the yeah. end of the motion. Yeah. And I think for some people that does just make like perfect sense. It, it's, but you cannot fuck up. You cannot fuck up. Right. <laughs> and on top of that, like, and then, okay, so you're moving this character, all right? And the podcast list, the average podcast listener that's not an animator and doesn't have any idea of what's going on here. You have this puppet that ha- it's so say it's walking across some like walking across the plane you know a, a ground yeah it has it's 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 being the feet are being drilled in every step yeah so that puppet is is standing upright and it might have a rig behind it so that means again just the work of just drilling that fucking thing in and making sure that the movement's right and from the last frame that the last picture you took the, the, to the current picture you're taking. And then in the post, you're going to have to erase all that shit out of there, which like, forget about that. Yeah. As, as far as I'm concerned, walking a character is the worst in stop. Yeah. Like and if then, you're, if you're drawing a walk, if you're just doing it in drawings, your approach would be, I'm going to do this contact drawing. So the yeah. contract, the contact drawing is where the foot, first touches the ground where the heel is up or the heel is touching the ground animation 101 people foot is up so like if you're drawing this you're just going to do here's the here's one contact here's one contact and you do all the contacts and so you know how it's paced and then you go back and all right now i'm going to do these the ups and downs yeah, yeah the down pose the passing pose with stop motion there you have to keep track of like the idea and also just the like the expression of that like what that character walks like right through the entire walk right and then on top of that say there's multiple characters in the frame they're all being animated at the same time oh yeah where as in 2d there might be a lead animator that's kind of blocking the entire thing but then there's you know there's an, the lead animator for just this character and right. then there's lead animators for, for the other characters yeah and, it, and you would have different artists working on the scene too like yes different so this artists is, would be doing different characters and then on top of all of everything we're saying the camera is also animated right so if there's a camera push yes or anything it's you so that that one animator is keeping everything tracking in their mind at the rate of taking a picture moving the like and then having them like undrill the foot move the foot move the character into the next spot making sure he doesn't bump the fucking stage yeah (laughs) that ruins everything it's just absolutely insanity i would never ever ever do stop motion animation i own an animation company i will never do stop motion animation i'm saying it right here i might direct it you by saying it here i might do storyboards but would i actually animate no not a chance well although also it's a little it's a little bit sad to think about but i don't know how much longer i'll be able to physically do it it is very it's very physically taxing on your body because just being like hunched over and stuff yeah, yeah. You, you're in order to animate the characters you're bending over a set you're bending over multiple times like dozens or hundreds of times 
while you do this shot and, and holding this ergonomically awful position while you move the character, then you go back, you check your frame, see if the character's moving right. And then if it's not, you have to go in and reposition the character. Well, I have a question for you for like a longer shot. There are there times where you just like, fuck, I, I, I cannot go on. I have to like, I have to come back tomorrow. Yeah. Well, that I mean, happens. Yeah. So you I mean, have to, you have to plan ahead of time. You try to get to, to a good stopping point. Yeah. Like, because sometimes what happens is like you turn the lights off, you go home, go to bed, come back the next day, you turn the lights on and things will have shifted because the lights are warm. And when it cools down, like things shift, like the set might expand or contract or whatever. And then you turn the lights on you again. To, yeah, you have to make every single like, yes, in 2D animation, you still have to animation. You're making everything. You're making the lamps, the remote, the pens, every single little thing you see is being created from nothing. But with stop motion, it's being created via, like it's literally being made like into a tangible in, item in, in miniature too, like yeah, and, and then scale. If there's a working, and there are many scales in this movie, and we'll get to that. But I think the most characters I ever had in a shot was fourteen. Like there, I had a shot that had fourteen characters in it. Um, I've heard of more, but like basically yeah your 24 frames was a um oh i mean you were that That was you were you were going for something there man like i can't believe you even set yourself up for that shit jesus christ i don't know what i was thinking that's the whole thing like like as an example um reservoir dogs like quentin tarantino's first movie he set that up for himself he wrote that movie as a low budget movie that he, if the studios were never to pick up, he could make for like $30,000 or something like that. It was always aimed to be made a certain way. Right. And that's, I think the average moviegoer has no understanding of that. They're like, oh, this movie looks like shit. This was stupid. Or it's like, well, there's there's circumstances to everything. And you can't just have like Marvel level Disney power all the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's labor intensive. It's yes. very physical. You're engaged with the physics of the object. You have to, you really have to get in the zone. Like you- well, here's the question. How, how long is, is uh, 24 frames uh, <laughs> your movie? Oh yeah. I did. Gus is short too. I did a short film called 24 frames, which was, Final cut was like 18 minutes, I think. And how long did that take? Three years. <laughs> yeah. One, and that's one person, basically, right? It's just me. Well, I had people yeah. working, doing, you know, I had a few people helping just here and there. With puppets and stuff, though, and asset and, and like prop creation, correct? Not in, not yeah. anything. I had a couple people animating. Jeff. Oh, okay. Um, as an intern. Um, yeah. And a few people did shots here and there. I think uh, besides myself, Jeff probably did the most animation. You remember Jeff, right? Wallenhorn. Um, yes. The, the whole, the thing, the thing about, and I kind of just put this together right now. It's 
I always thought of like stop motion animators as being like psychopaths, you know, like they're like crazy yeah. people. They are. But I mean, they are, but in their, they're crazy in like a Zen way. Like you're very calm. Matt and Jeff are very calm. Like you need to be calm. Yeah. It's you're calm on the outside. You're, you're projecting an image <laughs> of calm it, in, inside. You're eating yourself up that that exterior of calmness comes at a price yeah. of your sanity. Basically it, it is a very, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, not, that's what I started off by saying. I mean, it's absolutely insane. The end product is incredible. It is mind boggling. The amount of work that goes into something like this. Like this and, feature. Yeah. And like the amount of work that went into this. And then I think about the amount of work that goes into the level that they, they got like um, the Leica stuff. Uh, it's so absolutely insane. It almost seems it's to me, it's at a level of like almost impossible. There, those films. Yeah. They are making those films solely for the love of the craft yeah like they're making them stop motion but they're pushing the craft to a level that is like yeah no one else almost no one else in the world could get to which is crazy that's fucking crazy well yeah they they look so good they look cg two people that don't know the craft well yeah they only like they got the collection of animators they have is just world-class top tier yeah um which wasn't the case when i was hired (laughs) (laughs) our our shows were just uh really quick the difference between feature and television is that you have way more time like our uh quota in a week on gary and mike we were supposed to do I think it was 25 seconds of animation. Each animator was expected to finish 25 seconds of animation in a week. On a typical Leica film, it's six. An animator's quoted is six seconds a week. So they're uh, an animator working 40 or 50 hours producing six seconds of animation, maybe. Which is... Uh insane so this is on top of like look at some behind the scenes from like Coraline like some of the sets it's just mind-boggling the scale like the Coraline house the house that she lived in they had a full-scale house it was like so the puppet is like eight or nine inches tall probably and so they built a house to that scale that's like the whole house so yeah so the set and it includes part of the yard, of course, and the porch, and it's the exterior. God, the pre-production, uh, yeah. just the pre-production of like the logistics, figuring out all that stuff is just. Well, you got all you build all this stuff, and then the animator has to go somewhere. The animator has to stand somewhere. Yeah, a couple that big set on Coraline had like a trap door in it, where an animator would come up through the trap door animate and then close the door check the frames well yeah <laughs> like close the door the walk set. all the way back to the camera yeah you try underneath to, the set well you try to minimize that when you're setting up these shots 
Yeah. You want to minimize the amount of walking that the animator has to do because they're, again, they're doing it hundreds of times. It doesn't seem like a big deal. But what I am getting also, but that, but, but we're kind of leaving out is okay. They have to do all this stuff, but like the whole thing with 2d animation and 3d animation is you go to dailies and uh, you show the director what you've been working on. And they'll go, oh, can you tweak this? Can you fix that? Um, actually, and there's all these fixes and it keeps on going through this like fix, 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 fix stage yeah. where you just, with stop motion, it's like- That's the shot. The animator just did the shot. It took him two weeks. They, what, like, what are they like? And that, what they don't like the shot now? It's like there's nothing you can do. I I don't actually understand the because they don't really go into that in the um. There will be reshoots. The, the depths of that. So there are reshoots. Yeah. Well, it depends on the production. On television, there's rarely reshoots. Like on Gary and Mike, there were like. So I'm just saying you have to get it right the first time. So the the, maybe, the knowledge yeah. of the animator. Yeah. You, you pretty much and the are, confidence of the animator. Well, on the on the Leica films, they'll do like rehearsal takes too. They'll um, they'll do it several times just to get several takes of it. There's almost to a point with Leica that I almost want to say fuck you, like <laughs> it, 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 to the entire idea of them because it's so fucking crazy. Like what? Well, I they think... also well they do. I'll say they, they well. It's almost like they animate the movie in three D first, and then they reverse engineer it. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they, they... <laughs> to be yeah because that's... it's all so planned out. That's yeah. somebody's job too. Like at, at Leica, there will be a job like one one of the opening level jobs at Leica would be facial animator, which means you're the person who chooses which face is used in which frame. And the animator animating the puppet usually doesn't make that choice. That choice, like, okay, I'm using I'm using head number fifty for this frame. So they just put head fifty on, and they're they're more concerned with like animating the body. So like some, and that was the case on uh, Nightmare too, because Jack, of course, right, it, he, wasn't, it was he it was wasn't, all replacement heads. Yeah, it wasn't three D printed in that case. It was sculpted, yeah. which is even crazier. He had like <laughs> hundred sculpted heads, uh, but and the, and that was probably not pre planned out. Where they just were like, "All right, here's all these heads. Like, figure it out." Yeah, that was the same thing though. They would have somebody like a, I don't want to say an intern. It was like a starting level, like a junior animator, like somebody who's not animating the whole puppet. They were the their job is to choose the face. So it is kind of a little bit of a team effort. I mean, stop motion, it kind of in the old days was just like Ray Harryhausen films were just him. Like it was just him doing everything. He did like he built the puppets, he built the sets. He was on the stage when they were shooting the live action just to make sure that the characters were positioned right because he was going to put a puppet monster in there. And yeah. they, uh, so he was very involved. And the credits, like if you look at the credits in a Ray Harryhausen film, they're very short. In, in a Leica film, they go on for like miles, you know? Yeah. But Harryhausen was like a one-man operation. Like he, he did everything himself, which makes it even more 
ridiculous. Like you think about the scene in a couple of the scenes in Jason and the Argonauts, like when he's fighting the um, seven headed monster, it's a monster with seven heads. And back in those days, he couldn't look at what he was doing either. That's the other development that came about like in the nineties. Like when I first, you could see the frame before you could see what you were doing and that was all you had and you shot it. And then you saw the animation when the film was processed and you got it the next day. It's knowing like having even just a glimpse into that world and I mean, I live in that world, but like, it is like, I'm having like a panic attack over here. It's <laughs> insane. It's absolutely insane. Well, and it like- almost makes it to an extent. It does make sense to have almost one person doing a lot of it because you need that one person to have such a understanding of the larger picture. Yeah. That's mostly how it was like, you know, depending on the shot, sometimes they would shoot animation first and then have that running on a rear screen projector. And sometimes they would shoot the live action first and have that running on a rear screen projector. Uh, so depending on what the shot was, it was, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how he did it, honestly. Well, I mean, there is to an extent, like with our interns that we get sometimes, sometimes you end up doing all of their work over again. Oh, sure. <laughs> and it it's they like slow you down yeah i can sometimes sometimes well i when when i was working it was like yeah i was on a set by myself 98 percent of the time the director and people didn't bother you like you you would put up your sign like every animator had a hot set sign like yeah don't come in here this is a hot set and uh, occasionally the director would sheepishly peek in, like, how's your shot going? Like, they don't want to disturb us, like, because they know. Yeah, it's but like, like, what is that doing? Like, that's not like literally, like, what are you going to say? It's going poorly? <laughs> I don't know. Or it's going great? Or Well, they, like... I don't know. They were usually pretty good about just not, yeah. like, only sticking their head in the set if they absolutely had to, you know. Um, but yeah, it was, you definitely, it was sort of like meditating. Yeah. Because you had to reach this level of uh, this plane of existence where you're not thinking about anything else. Like you have to be singularly focused on this this job you're doing. There's no past. There's no future. It's just you and that puppet. Yeah. And that's the only thing in the universe that exists right now. That That's kind of the state that you have to get into in order to produce the kind of animation that you're seeing at Leica films for sure. Well, I, I also, yeah, that you're kind of getting at the, uh, the zone as yeah. uh, artists call it. We're in the zone. And yeah. It really is a beautiful thing. I love being you, in the zone. It, and I, and it's something I think that like it, not just artists get into, but like anybody doing anything, but like getting into the zone is the fucking best yeah and it's like a blackout and it's like when you come to you're like oh it's 3 a.m oh i, yeah, be- I guess yeah. i better go to bed <laughs> it's great and you're kind of just i uh, yeah i i love it all right mr fox stop motion animation uh from 2009 we talked about just how grueling and ridiculous of an art form stop motion is and how the people who do it are insane 
Yep. I, I know. Talking, I'm looking at one. Right I know because I'm one of them. I'm. Uh, yeah. So the um came this film came around uh obviously based on the book by Roald Dahl. Um, optioned in 2004. Uh, Henry Selleck was originally attached, but he left to go work on Coraline, and was replaced by Mark Gustafson, who was previously at will vinton he was the first kind of shout out i wanted to do uh of people that i knew who worked on this he was um the supervising director on the pjs and he was a director at will vinton for years he did a short film called mr resistor he directed a bunch of commercials for them he was on oprah once because of a commercial he directed so he is the uh supervising director or wait uh animation director i forget what his exact title was at the credits but um wes anderson he was sort of directing via video chat from paris this was shot in london mostly because of mckinnon and saunders is there mckinnon and saunders is the sort of premier puppet makers in the western world they do puppets for bob the builder and uh, yeah like all those stop motion shows they do in England, they did the puppets for uh, Corpse Bride, also in England, and also Frank and Weenie. And they got a new, uh, there's a new Tim Burton stop motion film coming out that they also did puppets for. Um, so they built all the puppets. Uh, the animation was shot on one of their stages, but Mark Gustafson, uh, a former Will Vinton director, replaced Henry Selleck, who left the project to go work on Coraline, which was being done at Leica, formerly known as Will Vinton. Um, so definitely not uh, confusing at all. Yeah, well the Wes Anderson wasn't didn't visit the studio a lot. Mark Gustafson Yeah, I wanted to um I do remember kind of hearing some like a bit of you know uh, drama about that yeah but the thing is this is such i mean is wes anderson's style not very hard to copy i mean he was um so fucking wes anderson it's insane well he was um but if you had a smart if you had a intelligent dude behind the you know cinematography and like i don't know just like wouldn't be D- that hard to set up the dp was tristan oliver Another stop motion veteran was at uh, mm-hmm. shot a bunch of stuff for um, Ardman, and I guess he must have worked with Wes Anderson on just this is how I want it to look, you know, because it does look like the shots are framed like a Wes Anderson film, you know, everything's symmetrical. There's like a parallel to the wall. There's lots of side tracking shots and yeah, like one point perspective. Yeah, and apparently during production wes anderson would act out every scene and then send a video clip like this is how this scene should be acted yeah and then mark gustason is the guy who's kind of in the pit with the animators um just kind of making sure everything gets done so yeah there apparently was a bit of drama between wes anderson and the rest of the crew he was somewhat hands-off apparently like he he was directing remotely basically yeah. he, was, he was in paris sending video like basically it was saying like did he really even direct this movie kind of thing right yeah i mean he's credited as the director and it does look like a wes anderson film 
they did a really fucking good job <laughs> so well it's sort of like you know how uh, i mean the storyboards must have been very you know intense and like the pre-production before you start something like this it just has to be so well planned out that and yeah having wes anderson kind of do the movements and stuff yeah and another thing that kind of makes me think about it's like he didn't shy away from this he, he went came back and did isla dog yeah and i don't which is, know which is I, fantastic i, I don't I know as like, much I think about I like that. that movie a little bit more i don't know i don't know as much about that production if it was similar i'm just saying if wes anderson like had like a bad experience or something he wouldn't want to go back and do something like it's like a, a giant investment oh no i don't think wes anderson had a bad experience i think yeah. mark gustison had a bad experience. <laughs> right right yeah, they, I don't think they had a good working relationship. Yeah. But, you know, I, you know, like I said, I think stop motion. You would never know that, though. Well, yeah, I think it's appropriate for his style of filmmaking. I think stop motion it, works really well for him. Oh, it, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying the, the outcome of the movie is fantastic, Mr. Fox. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love this movie. Uh, another animator, Chuck Duke. Uh, he's also worked on Mr. Resistor. And kind of a legend. He's worked on a bunch of stuff. Um, he worked with Phil Tippett on the recreation of the chessboard scene uh, from The Force Awakens. Um, oh, nice. Uh, Brad Schiff. You've seen his name on every like a film as either director of animation or supervising animator. Um, amazing animator. Uh, I worked with him closely. He was my director for several shots on Gary. He was sort of during the Gary and Mike production. He was sort of transitioning into a, a, a more of a director's role, and he's yeah. pretty pretty high up the Leica ladder now. Amazing animator. Also Nelson Lowry, production designer. Again, also at Will Vinton. Amazing artist. Um, who is the production designer for all of the Leica films as well. So a bunch of talent. Wes Anderson, his first introduction to animation in his movies was uh, Life Aquatic. Yes. And was that not these guys? And then that he was, came back to them? Uh, that was Henry Selleck. Which, oh, okay. uh, yeah, he was, uh, Henry Selleck directed the animation for Life Aquatic and then was supposed to come back for this but then left to go do Coraline um, yeah so yeah Henry Sell it's sort of like the relationship between Wes Anderson and Mark Gustafson is a little bit like the relationship between Henry Selleck and Tim Burton on Nightmare you know how people think yeah. of Nightmare as a Tim Burton film but it was actually directed by Henry Selleck yeah I, I listened to yeah that what what, what did we, we talked about this a little bit a couple episodes ago about Nightmare well, there was that um, documentary about like on Netflix. It, it's like things you love, or I forget. But it was there was a, a nightmare on uh, oh. episode. It's a good movie. Yeah, I mean Tim Burton didn't. It says Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, but he didn't yeah. take Wait. he didn't take director's credit. He was a producer and he designed the original story, but. But that is very for the the layman. I don't know. That's like, uh, well, I think just in '93, sticking Tim Burton's name on it is like, hey, come see this movie. You know, right? So it made sense, I guess. 
And nobody knew who Henry Selleck was at that time. He wasn't yeah. as famous as he is now. Good movie. Autumnal color palette. Um, George Clooney, Mr. Fox, obviously. Meryl Streep, Mrs. Fox. <laughs> yeah. I love all, all those little character moments I love in this film. That's what I think I oh, love. The, the amount of like charisma and charm it's and creativity the the creativity of this movie it's just endless and the relationship between mr fox and mrs fox feels yeah. very authentic and real Meryl streep said where else do i get to be mrs george clooney <laughs> <laughs> well and then it, i remember seeing like uh behind the scenes of like them just recording george clooney like in a field yeah they like did run around and doing like dives and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They recorded the dialogue like on locations that were going to be similar to what the locations were they were planning to use. So, yeah, they were outside and they were like in barns. And <laughs> well, I, what I was going to say was I was, I've been, I was trying to write down all the uh, Wes Anderson like trademarks. Yeah. And one of the, it, it's like the first shot basically is like, there is somebody holding the fantastic Mr. Fox book. Oh yeah. As Which is, yeah. yeah. I mean like that's the real Tannenbaums. That's the, I mean, that starts in um, bo- uh, not bottle rocket uh, Rushmore. Yeah. A lot of his films do that. Well, yeah. Let's, let's think of all the other stuff. Um, well, the symmetry. There, there, just... Well, there's obviously the symmetry, but the um, there's always a, like a long take. Oh Yeah. Lots of um, long takes. But there's a long take that was like a tracking shot of like in Life Aquatic, it's the ship. He's like, let me show you my ship. Yeah. And it's going all to all the different, uh, the library and the, the kitchen and everybody's rooms. And in this, it's, it's at the end. They have where they're living in a sewer system. Oh, right. <laughs> and then the, uh, of course, there's the, it, this has a very similar end, ending to Rushmore with the needle drop track and them all dancing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then on top of that, the main character being this very likable, charismatic asshole, <laughs> male asshole. It's always, it's almost always a male. Yeah. And yeah. that's uh, Steve Zizou, Royal Tannenbaum. Totally. But <laughs> just very yeah. like though the yeah you nailed it those are all very wes anderson-y things to have in a movie and, and the, yeah. yeah this the redemption of that of the asshole <laughs> oh yeah yeah just just like the character details like in this movie like um like the wife being a, a painter but she only does thunderstorms and like mm-hmm. um the possum having a platinum card or whatever and they they have like a little Uh, side about it possum's hands down he makes the movie like he gives that movie the movie like that 10 percent to push it past being like a good movie to like a great movie right (laughs) i just i love that character and he's always there he's at the he's in the end too like they're uh all together i love it yeah uh, yeah, it's just such, such great interactions between characters and just 
the relationships are believable like the rivalry between ash and christopherson and yeah um well and and, and much like uh with these the the voice actors and just the actors in wes anderson he's again comparing him to uh to quentin tarantino or even paul thomas anderson just using the same characters the same actors yeah Willem Dafoe apparently is killing it. Absolutely right, yeah. killing it's, it. I oh, love he's he's my favorite. He, I was gonna say that he's he uh he is so good as the yeah. rat. Yeah, the rat's great. He has one of the all-time great death scenes. Oh, that I whole fight jump. scene is yeah. fucking awesome. The fight scene that's, was, that's, that's my probably my favorite scene. The movie is really good at introducing a dynamic new scene from time to time. Like they cut to the, the guy the like the musical part where they're uh, the people singing the song around the uh, oh, yeah. campfire. I love that it's scene. such a great, like you don't see that coming at all. Yeah. Well, he turns on his radio. Like, yeah, there's this montage where they're stealing the farmer's food. And Mr. Fox has a radio that he keeps on his belt. And he turns it on and the song starts, but then it cuts to the campfire and it's like they're singing it. So it's like, <laughs> and then it, the scene kind of cuts back and forth between them stealing the farmer's food and then the campfire song. It's so I love how it ends too. That's a made up song. Like yeah. <laughs> That's just bad songwriting. You wrote a bad and, song and then he flicks a cigarette on his Yeah, face. Maybe you have this guy's name on cue here but that actor doing the voice actor the doing the voice of the uh the one farmer that's the uh the, yes, uh, the that's uh michael gambon he was um he was he's in life aquatic he was dumbled yes well. yes yeah, he's, he's the he he comes he he re, he uh replaced richard Harris. replaces yeah. yes yeah yeah you know it took me several like to place that voice you know i was like where have i heard that voice and like it just this last viewing today, it just clicked. Oh, that's Dumbledore. That's where I well, know that. <laughs> see, well, when I'm watching a Wes Anderson movie, I think of him as the uh, producer in uh, Wes or in in Life Aquatic. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff. It's probably oh, yeah. not he, not fair of me to <laughs> think say of either him as of those Dumbledore, things, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's just that very like he's got a very unique intonation. I think all the voice cast is. I think it's really well chosen. I know they're all like the only West, two Wes Anderson one, regulars, but yeah, the only two that I feel are like really lacking are the other farmers. They're okay, so yeah. empty. Well, they hardly do anything. I know. I mean, the, the whole they're all both of their characters are like barely there. There's no. Yeah, they're just they're like, all really right. really so, lacking. That sounds to, good. to a fault. To a fault, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, well, they look that their character design and the concept of their characters are great like i and that's another great wes anderson-y kind of moment is where he's describing everybody all the three farmers that's right out of the book too that's um like what they eat is right yeah. out of the book all the chickens and yeah that's what, like in act one that's the first I, I guess essentially the first story beat again that's kind of a wes anderson trope like pulling 
the male character out of their like zone basically <laughs> like, they're, what goes, they're familiar to yeah they, yeah and they, they to the point where they can't handle it anymore and they end up and they that's go, the drama of the movie is that they the go wagon, yeah. fall off the wagon yeah well that's all act one we get you know a little bit of there there's a couple great uh, wes anderson-y again takes like when he when he decides to look at start looking at houses to buy and there's that great shot it's like a really long shot where he's eating breakfast and uh he's like in the middle of frame and like mrs fox is over here doing stuff and his son comes in and he's over here talking it's so well staged and it's just all one take and he eats his breakfast and then he looks at the paper and i, I love the i like i love like his son spitting whenever he disapproves of his father's uh comments <laughs> yeah his son's he's got that ear twitch yeah thing that he always does when he's angry yeah uh, i mean uh, there god damn this i almost like this movie better in retrospect than i do i i like i the uh aesthetically watching this movie is so pleasing it's very mono it's almost monochromatic right it's all warm um i like other than the sky which is kind of gray most of the time i mean is there any there's very little blue in this sometimes like the sky is either usually either gray or orange there's a couple moments there's a couple moments where it is blue like uh when he's when they're going back in like after he falls off the wagon he ropes possum in to like start stealing from the farmers again which is i love like you worst idea bringing possum in but i love it so much uh so act one he falls off the wagon he uh he raids the three farm he moves into a house against the advice of his badger lawyer i guess played by bill murray and then there's there's bill murray you know how again quentin tarantino like quentin tarantino has like a beat to him like like the actors need to understand how Quentin Tarantino's script works right. and how you sit, how you sing his lyrics, you know, to an right. extent. Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman are, and obviously Luke Wilson, who helps write a lot of his movies, not this one. The cadence, they just fully understand how to say Wes Anderson lines. Oh, it's perfect. Oh, Bill Murray just kills it. Like he just has, it's just like such a simple line. And he just, I, do, I don't even know. What it, it's so like either like brings you to tears or makes you smile. I mean, it's so good. And the way the characters are animated too, like yeah. goes, goes along with that, that cadence. I love how Bill Murray's character has like the song queued up and ready to go. When he's describing the farmers, he says, here's a song that the local children sing. And he pu- <laughs> yeah. pushes a button. That song is used throughout the film, kind of as the score, the Bogus Bunts and Beans song. Yeah. Which you hear many times in different cadences, like you hear a sad version and then you hear like an upbeat version. Which I'm, I'm always a fan of that in movies when they, there's a theme and they reuse it right and again i need lucas here for the different music lingo here but like uh, key changes basically i wrote down midlife existential crisis so the character well, that's that's, ba- that's a lot of his 
That's characters. the uh, the Wes Anderson male, male protagonist internal struggle go to. <laughs> oh, I want to talk about the um, set design. Yes, and how goddamn fucking perfect it's so perfect it's either it's they they it might be like overly cluttered in a in a great way or it's extremely minimalist and it's just like a few like duct work things and a couple tubes and just a plain background and there's almost like a painterly quality to it I mean, I understand that there are there's map paintings and stuff going on here, but the the physical tangible sets are also the, visually the movie is perfect. Yeah, I love all For, the uh, cutaway like, shots, like all the mm-hmm. shots like from the, where you're seeing the strata of the earth when they're digging and just there's yes. a lot of oh yeah shots that go through walls and in the Wes Anderson heavily seventies style. Like they're often like the Royal Tannenbaums are dressed. It's like you can't really quite place the time period when any of these movies take place. But if you were to try to, it'd kind of be 70s, you know. I definitely get a 70s vibe from him. Yes, the the browns and the oranges and yeah. and just the clothing. Um the corduroy jackets and right. I mean, this the whole aesthetic of this movie is like a ch- a 70s like illustrated children's book you know yeah. <laughs> yeah but one of my favorite set designs that i wrote down was there they retreat down in further and further into the when they're trying to they're trying to dig them out yeah and they go further and further underground and it's kind of like these carrot roots <laughs> yeah above <laughs> them in the caves that they've that, that they've made it just, it's so, I don't know. I just think it's the coolest thing. Like it made me, when something is so visually pleasing, I almost want to draw it. And I started to want to draw those cool carrot backgrounds. Like how can I incorporate that into something that I want to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, most of Act 2 takes place underground. And a lot of Act 3 does too. They, uh, yeah, he buys he buys a house in a tree but then he starts ripping off the local farmers and they come after him. They destroy his tree and he and his family have to retreat underground. Right, he can't help himself, but to go back into his old, but yeah, all the underground stuff looks great. You know, there's a lot of different variety of stuff. There's that one scene where it's like, there's a great timing on the scene where Mrs. Fox like yells at her husband. Like she goes, I'm going to lose my temper now. And, mm. and then she like swipes at him and it's really quick. Like it's, but that set is like a, a bunch of crystals and yeah. There's... Oh yeah. They walk into that. Yeah. I love it. Again, it's like the creativity of the, of every aspect of the movie is endless yeah, and it always keeps you on your feet as a viewer of like, yeah, they walk into this crystal room. Like they didn't have to do that. It could have been another, like it could have just been like the same set, but like turned a different way. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that seems to be an important character moment too. But like, yeah, like. Well, I think one of the, uh, as far as um, importance of plot and character development, and just visually like stunning, is the waterfall scene. Yeah. Yeah, I love that scene. Now, how how is that? 
like plastic wrap that like is on like a big like yeah it's like, like a, two like wheels that yeah. like it's like basically a, like a, on a crane big crank it just, yeah it just goes around it's like a big sheet that's like loops around it's like a flintstones background you know that the same tree loops around they're just running by the same tree and... right so it's like a cycle yeah kind of it's like a big solid piece that wraps around they have a couple shots where it's like there's a clever stop motion trick thrown in where, where you have a tracking shot behind a character and there's like a barrel like there's a giant barrel with set all around it and the character's like running on the cylinder and the set is like rotating around that's like when they're first going up to the yeah when they're first going to rob bogus i think the first farmer there's like a couple shots where it's Oh, it's like a close-up of Possum and him running, like, yeah. and it's like a profile of them. 3D computer animation actually does have a lot of similarities to stop motion. It's like kind of a digital version of stop motion. And the, the process is similar too, whereas like... It's just a smarter, well, more yeah. intelligent, well, you, you can change uh, non-insane version of <laughs> yeah. stop motion. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a like stop motion, but there's an undo button, basically. Yeah. <laughs> You can command Z it. Um. Well, you can go back and go and fix such a minute detail that it's insane. I get, I have to say, I think the scene with Owen Wilson is completely unnecessary. I know there's like a setup. There's a little bit of a payoff to it later when with like the flame. Oh, the athletics, the, the coach. Yeah, that feel that scene feels like it was there to kind of pad out the runtime. I would say. Uh, now i i i do love this movie but uh, i'm gonna have a honest my honest honest take on the movie is as much as like i aesthetically love like visually i think it's just fan like absolutely perfect like and it fits it's every decision they make visually is perfect and I, it's like, I can't even quite pinpoint where it is, but there's something about the movie that's not like compelling to me storytelling wise that I am like super invested where well, like yeah. even like his, some of his like lesser movies, like Darjeeling Limited, I'm more invested in Darjeeling Limited story than I am in this story. Well, I think that what you're seeing is a lot of, you see this a lot with uh, animated features that are made from like children's books, like especially like all those Dr. Seuss adaptations where yeah, it takes like 15 minutes to read this book from cover to cover, but we got to fill 90 minutes or Well, I would say and... I would rather watch this movie a billion times and watch one of those Dr. Seuss movies once. Well, yeah, but those it's more obvious, like in. The, I just that, think that Wes Anderson is completely capable of compelling me. And for some reason, this movie just, it's just not there. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not that it's, it's, just, it's not fully there. Isle of dog does get me going. <laughs> And like it does take a little bit for it to start really like the the snowball to start forming, but um, I think I'm into this. I I mean I think I'm just so visually compelled by this movie, and 
and i love the characters so much like and like i was saying it does like with the it takes these visual kind of storytelling ideas with the the campfire song and especially the 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 fight scene between um William Defoe's character and I love that scene it's that like those are like saving graces to me like that it's almost like the whole movie could suck but those two scenes could be in there and and it's like oh this is great I'm not saying that the whole movie sucks at all I'm just saying that those moments are so good that it like really really fills in for the rest of the movie for me even though not the rest of the movie isn't bad again I almost can't even articulate what is wrong (laughs) Yeah, well, I, what and I, it's not like I, guess, I don't like the characters. I like the characters. I like George. I like Fox, Mr. Fox. I like Mrs. Fox. I like the son. I like the cousin. I like Possum. I like the Badger. I like everybody. I like the three. Even with the two uh, farmers not being that, um, they're just like developed. Sidekicks. They're yeah. sidekicks, basically. It does occasionally feel padded, like it's a story that probably didn't need to be an entire feature and like, yeah that scene especially the whack bat scene or whatever the name of the sport is is just so shoehorned in there well I, again like i have some reservations about this movie but like all in all it's incredible i mean visually it's, it's absolutely perfect yeah i'm just so visually taken by this yeah. movie like in a way that like what i don't know i gotta i gotta watch isle of dogs again but i think i like isle of dogs a little bit more i remember once that movie starts going and the relationship between him and the dogs and like especially at the end it really picks up and i i I remember liking it quite a bit and they're they're doing some really cool visual stuff in that movie well, I I love both movies, obviously. Yeah. I, I think I, I think I like Mr. Fox just a little more. I like the color palette. I like the character interactions better. I guess I I don't know. The characters appeal to me more for some reason. I'm trying to think it's... of other stop motion tricks. Obviously, we talk about different puppets at different scales. You see, like you see half scale puppets and full scale puppets yeah. in the same shot. I guess there were like something like five hundred and fifty. Mr. Fox puppets. Holy shit. Or wait, no, sorry. Um 550 some puppets total. Yeah. And and then for the character Mr. Fox, it was uh I think like a hundred and some. Um Wow. Yeah. Now that does make sense because I would have met like just even in 2D animation, when you're having a character drawn from a distance, you do have to simplify the character or else it's just not going to work. It's going to be too messy. You need to, there is like this strange aesthetic, like uh, anime is really good at it, where the, the eyes might just be gone and it's a little dot for the nose or something like that, or, or the nose is gone and it's just two dots for the eyes and there's no white of the eyes, stuff like that. Like He does that a lot in Isle of Dogs too. Like, I've only seen that once characters in the foreground will be like full scale and then like you'll see one character close to camera and like three or four other ones that are further away and they're at a it's like a forced perspective thing they're like a smaller scale he does a lot of forced perspective in this 
lower frame rate they wanted kind of a lower frame rate like leica films are all on I, love, I, I love i love lower frame rate i do too and that's like almost 90 percent of the time it's better or it, it just works better it's a different aesthetic you know i i don't know i i like lower frame rate i like looking at i like being reminded that it's animation like i like the little mistakes like the popping fur around and like seeing every frame, like seeing the incrementation of it. And, you know, right. I like being constantly reminded that I'm watching animation. That's the thing with, with American animation. It's fucking stale as fuck. Oh yeah. It's the worst. Like Like, Disney Disney movies. Animation that comes out of like Hollywood. Yeah. 90% of it does not interest me at all. Like it's, it's all, well, it, one, it's all for kids. Yeah. It's written by committee. And, and Pixar, at the beginning, they had a thing going until Cars, and then they can go fuck right the fuck off because they <laughs> have, it's all downhill. Yeah. Incredibles 2, it's got lots of cool stuff, but who gives a shit? Yeah, that movie. Tell me, tell me one uh, Pixar movie that's honestly, because now like Soul and all of those things, they're like so Disney. I know. Fucking, what was that one? They're all in the same now. What's the one where they, it's like, it's our world, but it's all fantasy. There are these two troll brothers and they go on a quest. Oh, Onward. Onward. Yeah. That, to me, was pitched by some fucking Disney humping, stupid, probably extremely talented, but fuck you, like dude like a student that was like i'm gonna combine all the most like horrible disney shit into one thing and like there you go and of course it gets made into a feature film (laughs) it's the worst it's like it's our world but it's fantasy and it's like god get the fuck out of here i'm leaving that in the in the I, I, I just it's no so, i agree it's all do just not agree it's no just all the, the dreamworks most, all the dreamworks stuff all i mean well now they're doing this whole thing and i think it's good but it's way too late it's like it looks well good. now we have to make an asian movie and now we have to make a a latin american movie and now we have to make this movie it's oh. not they're so aiming it towards something that it's nothing they, and they are good they're like yes they're like Oh, it's there's something about it that's so upsetting, though. I agree. Not no, I mean. And then there's the life of pets. I literally used to in college go like, "Let I can't wait for the movie called Cats and Dogs." Like it's <laughs> like, <laughs> like fucking Jesus Christ. Condiments by Mixar. I mean, the coolest shit that I've seen that's not even necessarily like. Uh, cloudy with a chance of meatballs that was good yeah that that's was some good shit that's fun like well that's, that was um that's, oh, the, in the lego movie that's DreamWorks. Too. Those, well yeah. those that was the the writing um the two guys who wrote yeah those, that, yeah and, um, and they they did a universe uh, verse which is incredible yeah yeah so those visually guys, maybe the most like amazing movie i've ever seen those guys work notwithstanding i don't know like soul even it's just so i haven't seen it but like and I'm sure it's good. It's, and all it's of those good, movies are but it's good, like, but like, yeah, it's, it's like, 
you can like, app- well, you we can watch it have... and appreciate the work that went into it and it's just so what are those things uh minions it's like well we have to have like a miniony kind of thing in here it's even with like disney's or with a uh, star wars episode eight they had those like fucking little like orgs yeah like get the fuck out of here like they're just it's so obvious yeah no i agree it's uh I don't. God damn. Yeah. Well, I'm should, just too honest. Should we get into what are what are you watching? Because uh, sure, this episode's going to be pretty long. I think. Yeah, <laughs> we went off on many tangents, but I think they were good. I oh think yeah, there's some good discussions about animation and for sure. I well, I, I think I these really animation wanna... episodes will uh, will be a lot filled with these kind of moments. So right. as far as what I've been watching. What are you watching? All right, Gus, what are you watching? Well, I have this is a little bit of a story here, but um, last Friday night, my wife and I just wanted something to throw on. And we started to watch. We saw that on HBO Max, they had added the Labyrinths, and we love the Labyrinths. So we threw that on. And we both, when we watch movies, we like to like, sometimes we'll get real into looking into them like on IMDb facts and Oh, was it? And then I think the discussion was, was this Jennifer Conley's first movie, which it's not. And I thought it was forever. Her first movie is um, it's called phenomena and it's a Dario Argento movie. It's the, for some reason, I, I like want to really dig Dario Argento movies. And I do like, Suspiria, which is kind of supposed to be his like best movie, but for some reason, Phenomena just fucking clicked. Hmm. I was really high, <laughs> um, that which helped. helped. Yeah, but even just watching the trailer, Alex and I were like, "Fuck yeah!" Like, let's. We just stopped Labyrinth and we threw that movie on, and it's something about it. It's not like a it's not like this great movie, but there is, there is this nice sense of seeing the world from like a different perspective, just how like he films stuff and how he tells a story is so weird and off. There's something really cool about it. Um, (laughs) So I, yeah, a bunch of random stuff. I saw this, a bunch of horror stuff I've been into this week. Good. I like horror. All right. Well, thanks for sticking with us. My name is Brad. Oh, I see. Oh, I see what we're doing. Instagram. (laughs) On Instagram, Brad Patello and uh, Gus here, Mr. Trout. DM us. Uh, I, we will get an email here going soon, guys. At some point, we'll have an email for the yeah. podcast. You can email either of us right now, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's just gustrout at gmail.com. So, yeah, hit us up with movies you guys want us to talk about. And, um, yeah. Right. Hell yeah, Brad. Good F, bro. Yeah. <laughs>